Chinellan had been right to note in his monograph on the planet of red and blue that the remarkable duality of hue along either side of the purple line was one of the wonders of the galaxy. On the left, the outcroppings and dunes were all gradations of blue, the sand lighter blue, the rocks darker. On the right, rugged landscape was entirely red, muted or emphatic, but all the way to the horizon. Only the relatively narrow purple line mixed the colors. The two suns in the binary star system, one closer than the other, were always at the same angle with respect to this motionless world. But there was no night on this side. The planet was prevented from spinning by the interlocking gravitational fields of the two stars. They played an eternal game of push and pull that would someday rip the planet apart. But until then, millennia from now, this world's placement in the galaxy made it of strategic importance to the war effort. Perhaps more important, there were forerunner relics here in this area, and more buried in other parts of the planet. The luminary had confirmed it. The necessity of investigating forerunner relics was the only reason the San Shayum had descended from high orbit to the surface of this world risking certain confrontation with the armed and dangerous Sanghili. The shaped stones near the pod were the remnants of an ancient city, belonging to an extinct species, an unknown biped. But on the jutting stones were carvings that suggested they had a knowledge of the forerunners, who had been here even earlier than the stone carvers. The densely compact blue sun was in the east. The bigger, sprawling, more diffuse red sun bulked in the west. The planet's winds, urged by the opposed gravity that flexed back and forth, slashed first one way and then another, constantly eroding the stones with a kind of relentless brushing, turning them gradually into dunes that gave off ghostly plumes of dust and sand plumes that shifted with the winds, as if doing a primitive dance. The red dancers flitted on one side, the blue on the other. It truly is a marvel, sighed McKen, absently adjusting his robes. A commander's ornately sewn ceremonial robes were impressive, but not pragmatic. Under them, he was fitted with clinging body armor. It is worth the risk. His steward grunted noncommittally, then, remembering himself, muttered, Your insights shine like the hub of the galaxy, High Lord. The steward's tendency to engage in superfluous, honorific courtesies was a mild source of annoyance to McKen. There was a subtle touch of mockery in the old-fashioned usages, which might reflect the steward's awareness that he was chronologically elder to McKen, but having come from a lower-caste brood, was forever obliged to serve as a subordinate. Gazing at the eerily beautiful landscape, McKen knew he was indulging his connoisseur side overmuch. He had once dreamed of being merely a relic historian, and had spent many glorious cycles studying the niceties of forerunner design and ancient holographic renderings of the San Shayum homeworld, Janjur Kham. Thinking of their homeworld, even looking at the holographs, always made him melancholy. 
McKen's branch of the San Shayum had been forced to renounce the cradle of their civilization, their planet of origin, in the aftermath of the stoic reformist conflict. McKen and his peers came from the reformist line, which had fled the home world in the dreadnought, the forerunner key ship that had been the focus of the civil war between stoics and reformists. And the reformists had set about searching for sacred forerunner relics throughout the galaxy, until nearly eighty cycles ago, when they had come upon the Sanghili squatting in the shadow of numerous forerunner artifacts. The war-mad Saurian race had worshipped forerunner vestiges without regard to their true utility. Worse, they had refused to allow the San Shayum access. The Sanghili, in turn, were horrified to see that the Sanshayum actually used some forerunner relics for practical.